northern side of the base. We dealt with a lot of 18 to 20 year old young Marines and uh, they had this peculiar habit of meeting girls in Oceanside and talking to girls on Facebook and then a month later getting married. Uh, so we were just around, of course, some really healthy marriages during that time. Um, so that was interesting going through all that. But uh, as we have kind of gone through, as we have, uh, as I have been in pastoral ministry, it counts as a lot more seasoned couples during that time. Of course, it may not, may or may not surprise you, but even no matter how long you have been married, uh, there often exists great brokenness, great dysfunction within marriages. So I want to, before we get into our topic this morning, I want to first encourage you. Rochelle and I, we have seen couples that have, we thought were just dead in the water. No chance of reconciliation, no chance of, uh, of being reunited and seeing the Lord just radically heal marriages. And I don't know where any of you guys are this morning. Maybe you're just in a really bad place in your marriage. Maybe you guys are doing awesome in your marriage. But I want to encourage you to lean into the teaching, to be open with what you hear. Uh, again, if you're in a healthy spot in your marriage, I want to encourage you, again, to lean into the teaching, to apply the practical application you hear this morning. Because you're going to hear from me, and I'm sure you're going to hear from Audrey and Trace, that healthy marriages don't just hop, happen automatically. Takes a lot of work, takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of investment, but healthy marriages are absolutely worth it. So, this morning, our first session, I want us to pursue together through the Bible God's design for healthy conflict resolution. So, to have a healthy marriage, we absolutely need to have these skills to thrive, and I'm going to do my best to give you these tools and skills from the Bible. But first, we need to understand why there is conflict. And then we need to understand why we should pursue oneness in our marriages. Then we're going to get into how we practically do that. So half of this is going to be very heavy on the house. So if you're taking notes, get ready to just write a ton of bullet points here. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and dig into our first biblical text this morning in James chapter 4. Our passage is going to be verses 1 through 2. You can turn over your Bibles if you want, or you can look up on the screen up behind me. And as you're turning over there, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we just pray that your word would speak. We pray that you would help us lean into this teaching, to lean into your word, to lean into your wisdom. We pray that you would uh, bless us as we seek to be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 2 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So we're looking at the text. What causes our fights? What causes our quarrels within our marriages? We, look, we see in verse 1 that our passions are at war within us. In the original language in which this was written... Uh, this, this word is where we can get our English word hedonism. So it's almost like we can, we can say that James is, is saying that our pleasures are at war within us. And so something we have to grapple with is that God has created us to seek our own happiness, to seek our own pleasure. But ultimately in him, and that's, that's another sermon, but what happens when another person is an obstacle to that happiness and pleasure that we seek? Right, fights, 
quarrels. In intense situations, murder, coveting, as we see in verse, desiring things that are not yours. And so what we have to face with this text is that this anger, that this conflict originates from within us. Right? No one can absolutely force us to be angry. The reaction, yes, is prompted by outside circumstances from our spouses, but our anger, our, our angry responses come from within our own hearts. So think of it as like a, a sponge that's filled with water. And so when you squeeze that sponge, water is going to come out. So the Bible is claiming that we kind of work the same way. We have stuff in our hearts and, and circumstances that come in, uh, circumstances within our marriage, circumstances within our spouse can come and squeeze that sponge, our hearts, and anger can come from without that was already within our hearts. So conflict originates when our desires are not fulfilled in our marriage, where our rights have been violated, where our expectations have not been met, where we have been hurt. And so these unfulfilled desires leads to quarreling and eventually anger. So the big question we need to ask is why are we bent towards this conflict? And the Bible has a grand overarching answer to that question. We see why this is important to understand this before we can get to the how this morning. See, the Bible tells us that God created us to be in perfect fellowship with him and in perfect fellowship with each other. But shortly after, the Bible says that humanity rebelled against God's perfect good rule over our lives. And this rebellion is what the Bible calls sin. And sin leads to brokenness. Brokenness and separation between us and God. Brokenness in our marriages, in our close relationships, and even brokenness in creation itself. So I say all that to explain that the root reason for conflict in all our marriages, the root reason... It's not because our spouses are working too long. It's not because our in-laws have issues. It's not because our, our needs are not being met. The ultimate reason is that, that we have conflict, is that we are all affected by sin, the Bible tells us. So I'll kind of illustrate it like this. Let's say you have just some searing headaches, and you're going to a doctor, and the doctor, a good doctor, would not just give you Tylenol, to, to treat the symptoms of the headache. He would take you through tests, he would take you through scans, and if he found something on that scan, like a tumor, he would treat the root problem of the tumor and not keep on giving you Tylenol to mask the symptoms. And that's what we wanna do when it comes to conflict. We wanna hit the symptoms, we wanna hit the root. And so the good news of the Bible is that God decisively did something to treat the root problem of our sin, which leads to brokenness between us and God and brokenness between us and each other. That God in his love sent his son and he entered into his very own creation, took on human flesh in Jesus Christ. And Jesus lived the perfect life and he died the death that we deserve. And he rose from the dead and displayed that his sacrifice was accepted on our behalf. And basically the, the check cleared, so to speak. And that whoever recognizes their problem sin before a holy God and turns and trusts in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord will have peace with God, will have their sins forgiven, will be restored in fellowship and, and in relationship with God. And from then on, start the lifelong, keyword lifelong process of slowly recovering God's design for every area of our life, including oneness in our marriage 
That was the overview of why we have conflict. Now we need to understand why we should pursue oneness in our marriages. Now what Christ also accomplished by dying on the cross was bringing peace between us and God. See, before people come to faith, the Bible declares us that we are at war with God, that we're off doing whatever we want. We want to find meaning and identity apart from God. But though we were at war, God in his great love still pursued us in love in order to bring about peace in our relationship in, 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 in him when we respond in faith. And Romans 5, 1 says this is the result. Therefore, since we have been justified or declared in right standing, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, you're going to understand why I'm going through all this in a second. The common theme we see in the New Testament is that what God has worked in us, he wants to work through us. And if God worked in peace between us and God through Jesus Christ, he wants to work peace through us. In fact, Jesus called us to be peacemakers. And perhaps in no other relationship in our lives is that more tested than in our marriages. So we're called not to just have peace with God, but to promote peace with each other, especially in our marriages. Let me say one other thing on why we should pursue oneness in our marriages. If you're a Christian this morning, the simple truth is that you have been forgiven by God and thus forgiven people forgive, period. No conditions. Jesus kind of tells us a parable to illustrate that principle. He, he, he tells about, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, a, a servant who was serving this master. And this servant owed this master billions of dollars, like in our equivalent money. And, and Jesus is using like exaggerated language to make a point. And this servant comes and begs before the master, please forgive me of all this debt. And this master completely forgives him of billions of dollars. So the servant goes off and a little later on, a little later on, he knows another guy that owes him about $10,000. And so this guy comes up to the former servant and he says, please forgive me of all this debt. And the servant said, brought him to jail and said, until you pay me up, you can't get out. So when the master found out about the guy that was given forgiven billions of dollars, but would not forget, forgive $10,000. He, of course, led that servant into prison. And here's the point that Jesus is making with this parable. When we refuse to forgive those who have hurt us, especially our spouse, when we're holding on to bitterness, we're acting like that servant who was forgiven billions of dollars and is now holding grudges against our spouse who owes us thousands of dollars. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, you've been forgiven an infinite debt against an infinitely holy, loving God. Therefore, forgiven people are called to forgive. I once heard a pastor say that, that bitterness in our marriages is often like we're drinking poison and expecting the other person to get hurt. So guys, this is our problem. Conflict is inevitable. It's the result of the root problem of sin. But God has decisively done something about our sin problem in sending his son, Jesus Christ, where we now have peace with God, where we now have forgiveness of sins. Therefore, we are called to pursue this oneness by promoting peace in our marriages and forgiving our spouses. So that was the, 
the long version of the why. Kind of think of this as like building the foundation for which practical application can kind of be the fruit from. So let's get into the how this morning. How do we pursue healthy conflict resolution in light of the foundation we just laid? So just a quick note from this. I borrowed heavily from a ministry called Family Life. Family Life is an awesome ministry where it equips you towards healthy marriages. So if you want homework, if you want more stuff to do when you get home, look up Family Life. They're an awesome ministry towards promoting health and marriages. So to understand the overview of this application, before we, we get into the weeds this morning, I want us to understand three things. First of all, conflict is common to all marriages, right? Sin affects all of us. And so I, I want to encourage you to not feel insecure that if you're having conflict in your marriage, that it, it's, it's normal. And I also want to temper expectations that there's not going to be one point in your marriage where you're mature enough where conflict is going to completely go away. That leads us to our second point. The goal of our marriage with conflict resolution is to not be conflict free, but to learn how to handle the conflict correctly. When it occurs. And third, healthy conflict resolution occurs when couples are willing to seek and grant forgiveness. So especially with this third point, I don't know if it's up yet. Especially with this third point, you see how it's it's so important that we spend so much time on the why before we get to the how. So let's move in the section that deals practically of how do we actually confront our spouses? I don't know, I'm sure we, we, we've all been in that situation where our spouses wronged us, has sinned against us, and we start thinking through how do we practically confront them? How do we practically and lovingly call out their sin? All right, so a few things we need to understand. All right, conflict is inevitable, and we do have to balance the truth that love covers a multitude of sins. Meaning that, that, that we are not called to confront on absolutely everything. There's going to be some things in our marriages that we have to drop for the sake of unity. And again, I, I don't want to give you black and white answers on what that is. But maybe leaving up the toilet seat every now and then. Maybe leaving the socks on the ground and not putting them into the dirty clothes hamper. Maybe just being a few minutes late to everything. Again, I don't want to tell you what it is, but that might not be the hills that you want to die on for conflict and, and, and confronting. So again, love does cover a multitude of sins. However, there are definitely cases where it may very well be the responsibility of one of us to confront our spouses. So when that arises, how do we practically do this? So before you confront, I want to first encourage you to examine your heart. What I mean by this is Jesus warns us against hypocritical judgment in Matthew 7, 4. He says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? So we need to ask ourselves before we confront, is there any hypocrisy in my own life that is contributing to the conflict in this marriage. Or maybe it might look like seeing that speck in your eyes, seeing that what you've contributed, confessing that to your spouse before you confront. So examine the heart. Second, spend time in prayer. All right, this one is huge. I, I know there's been conflicts in our marriages where I, I, I'm, I'm angry that my wife said that or didn't do that. 
and I go off and be with the Lord and spend time in prayer and just kind of vent to him. And then all of a sudden be level with conviction in return and end up asking her for forgiveness rather than the other way around. Or maybe your spouse has clearly wronged you and you're just just sitting there with anger. It's definitely wise to spend time in prayer, to be able to see this this conflict through God's perspective, to be able to have the strength to, to speak lovingly and calmly rather than further escalating the conflict. Third, check your motives when preparing to confront. Ask yourself these questions before confronting. Am I seeking to punish or am I seeking to pursue peace? Am I seeking retaliation or am I seeking restoration in my marriage? Again, this is often lumped in with prayer, examining the heart. I don't mean to set this up as like a a linear steps of all the things that you have to get get through, but just make sure that all these steps are present uh, before and during confrontation. So fourth, choose your timing wisely. I know this is, a, this is a difficult one, but it's incredibly important. I would encourage you that when you guys are having confrontation, when there's conflict in marriage, please don't try to confront when your spouse is about to go to work. Or please don't try to confront when you are about to go to work. Please don't confront as you are probably in your beds trying to go to sleep. Make sure that you have ample time. Make sure that you can have like as least amount of distractions as possible for for us with small kids we we try to wait till the kids are asleep and we have plenty of time to talk about it then or maybe on a date night or, or wherever you have time to be able to have a lengthy discussion about this so choose your timing wisely now when it actually t- comes time to confront i want to encourage you to speak the truth in love as Ephesians 4 says, this is where prayer beforehand is essential. We want to make sure that we are balancing both truth and love. Because if I come to, to Rochelle and I'm confronting and I have all truth but no love, that's only going to escalate the conflict rather than de-escalate the conflict. And if you have all love without no truth, you're probably never going to confront in the first place. And last. Choose your words carefully. Choose your words carefully and with humility. So those are steps to consider when preparing and actually confronting your spouse who has hurt you and sinned against you. I want to go over some now quick tips. Again, I, I said this is going to be very practical on when you're confronting, when you're going through these conversations of how not to escalate the tension and rather instead of keeping your cool and talking through these issues. So tips to not escalate the conflict. First, take a deep breath and try to relax, right? That one's obvious, but it's certainly helpful, all right? Second, you wanna make sure that you're maintaining eye contact. Guys, don't be on your phone when your wives are trying to talk to you. Don't be looking out the window. Don't be looking at the TV. Make sure you're maintaining eye contact with your spouse. Next, while you're speaking, speak softly and slowly. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Okay? So speak softly and slowly, and then check your posture. Okay? Make sure, like... Having your arms crossed like this, just just 
coming and slouching on the couch or, or maybe clenching your fist or pursing your lips. These are things that can escalate the conflict rather than de-escalate. So check your posture. Then when you're speaking, watch your language. Right? What I mean by that, try to avoid words like always or never or unless or should or shouldn't. And I know there's times that's unavoidable where we're seeking to, uh, as much as you can, try to avoid words like this. Instead, use words like maybe or perhaps or I wonder or it seems like or I feel. Words like these tend to de-escalate conflict. Our last two. It's important that we acknowledge and affirm the other person's position. All right, let's our spouse know that we are hearing and understanding them correctly. And last, try to ask open-ended questions that can facilitate you and your spouse coming to a solution in conflict rather than asking questions that are just going to elicit a yes or no response. All right, that's tips to de-escalate conflict. All right, now I want to lastly go over practically how should we seek and even grant Forgiveness when seeking healthy conflict resolution. So remember what I said earlier, all right? Forgiven people forgive. Therefore, we need to be able to cultivate these, these, these tools and these skills to be effective in healthy conflict resolution and pursuing oneness in our marriages. So what do we need to know? So what do we do when we know we have wronged our spouses? When we know that there's a breach in our relationships, what do we need to do and what do we need to avoid? our part to pursue reconciliation so first of all and seeking forgiveness we need to first of all confess our sins vertically I confess our sins to God the Bible says that first and foremost all of our sins against people are sins against our Creator that we've just as much violated God's design with our lives when we sin against those closest to us so we seek first seek vertical reconciliation then we spend time in prayer. Hopefully you're noticing a pattern here with prayer. We want to make sure that we are prepared and humble when we come to our spouses in seeking forgiveness. Now, when speaking to our spouses and admitting our mistakes, be specific. Avoid being way too general in, in when you're coming to your spouse and asking for forgiveness. Be specific. Say, I am sorry for dot, dot, dot. Next, accept responsibility for the consequences. All right, I don't know if you guys have ever had those apologies where you're hearing the ifs and buts. Right? I'm sorry if you felt this way. Or I'm sorry if I did this but... Those are not apologies. We gotta make sure that when we are apologizing, when we're seeking forgiveness, we're accepting the responsibilities. That I am sorry for dot, 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 period. No ifs and buts. And last is the obvious one. We should seek change. We should be asking the Lord to change our hearts, to change our attitudes. We should be talking to those people who are close to us in our churches to help, help to, for them to help us have that accountability towards change. So we should seek change. So recap, be specific. I am sorry for, repent, I was wrong for, and then here's the key, ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Can we all say that together? 
Will you forgive me? Yes. All right, that's key. That's key. All right. Um, what about granting forgiveness? This is, this is our last one. Here's where it can be incredibly difficult. So we need to make sure we know what forgiveness is according to the Bible. Okay? True forgiveness is not conditional. It's not if. It's not unless. It's not I will forgive if you do this. The Bible does not get, leave us that option. True forgiveness is also not forgetting everything that happened. Like people can sometimes have that definition. They pull that at times from a verse in Hebrews where God says, I will remember your sins no more. And what that verse doesn't mean is that God's some crazy person that just absolutely forgets what, what happened. But what it does mean, it's a figure of speech to say that he is not holding this, this guilt, this debt against us. It is also not pretending that something did not happen, especially major sins against us. There's certainly a breach. There's certainly a loss of trust. And that trust is now slowly being built back in some of those cases. Instead, true forgiveness is, is what definition is, a decision, a decision to let your spouse go of the debt that he or she has incurred against you. True forgiveness is an attitude of letting go of resentment and vengeance. True forgiveness is the first step towards rebuilding trust. Lastly, this is perhaps the most important. True forgiveness is an act of obedience to God. So those are things to consider now. Now. How do we actually do this? When your spouse comes up to you and, and is asking for forgiveness, we first, we need to forgive privately, especially if there's a major sin done against us. We need to forgive privately. We need to go to God and be asking, God, would you help me to forgive? Would you soften my heart? And, and between you and God, forgive your spouse privately and then forgive publicly and specifically. Go to your spouse and forgive specifically what, she, what he or she has done to you. And last, do it generously. What I mean by that is that I, I know there's, I'm sure there's some conflicts out there where it's all one spouse that's contributed to it. But most conflicts are like 30, 70, or 20, 80, where one spouse contributes 30% of the conflict and the other spouse contributes 70%. Some it's 50-50. Now, I want to even encourage you. Even if you contributed 10% of this conflict, acknowledge that, confess that, ask for forgiveness from your spouse while you're also granting forgiveness to the spouse who asked you. All right, so we do it privately, publicly, and generously. All right, did we get through that? I know you guys are writing the whole time. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hands are probably burning here. All right. So we went over why there is conflict in our marriages, why we should pursue healthy conflict resolution, and how exactly we should do that through healthy confrontation, seeking forgiveness, and granting forgiveness. So I want to I close by pointing out probably the obvious here. I, not I think, I know from the Bible that there is a direct correlation in how strong and intimate your relationship with God is 
that will fuel into how strong and, and, and intimate your relationship with your spouse is. There's a direct correlation there. So I want to encourage you to seek vertical health with God as you're also seeking horizontal health with your spouse. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we, we need your help with healthy conflict resolution. God, may we embrace the why that we who were in sin, separated from you, have now been reconciled, have been forgiven, have peace with God. And God, would you work through us? Would we be peacemakers in our marriages? Would we be professional forgivers in our marriages? And God, refine us and give us and cultivate us the, the skills and the tools that we need to do that effectively. In Jesus' name, amen.